let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back in your ears once again. We had beer in the glass, and we are ready to go. But we're not alone, are we, Martin? We are joined by award-winning head brewer at Roosters, Old Fozard. Good evening. Welcome to the show, Old. As Steve said, we have got the first beer in the glass. It is probably your flagship beer, Yankee. So let's dive in, and then perhaps you can tell us a little bit about it all. So cheers. 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 Yeah, okay. Um, so Yankee, it's a good starting point, really, for um, uh, for this evening. It is a beer that is, um, it has, certainly has reached back to 94, we think 93, the Roosters was founded in 93. Um, the, there is an award um, that we are aware that it won in 94. So that's how many, 26, 27, 27 years ago? Yeah. Um, and so um, the founder of Roosters, uh, Sean Franklin, um, this is his, uh, the beer that really sort of um, built Roosters, I think. Um, it's been um, around for so many years and so sort of highly and widely regarded. Um, certainly has been one of the first sort of craft beers, or Roosters was certainly one of the first craft breweries. Um, it's a single malt, single hot beer, and it uses, it's Golden Promise, um, malt and um, it, it's single hopped with Cascade um, <clears throat> from the Yakima Valley and uh, I believe Sean was in fact one of if not the first person to bring the Cascade hop into the UK um, before any merchants or anything like that um, he tasted Sierra Nevada's um, pale ale um, in the uh, late 80s I think it was Um and he basically just sort of took him on a journey, literally, to the states and to to Yakima, and um, and yeah, he brought some he, he brought some Cascade back, or he had it brought in, and and brewed Yankee with it, um, and it's still it's still our biggest sort of volume that we brew per year. Um, it's it's very much certainly on cask. It's very much as it was. Uh, as it always has been. So um, when myself and my family took over Roosters the oh, 10 years ago this year, um, Yankee, you know, we, we, we took it on knowing full well what Roosters beers were like and, and how much we enjoyed them, but Yankee in particular. Um, and it hasn't really changed a great deal, um, although there's this kind of, I, I suppose, um, a sort of misconception, if you like, where... Um, People probably think it's, you know, it's a, we've called it original pale ale because it is what it is. But um, compared to sort of pale ales that people are producing nowadays, um, it, it's uh, a little more subtle. But uh, people who come to the beer for the first time probably expect a little bit more. But it's, it's true, to its, true to its roots. You know, this is what it was tasting like 27 years ago. Um, which was huge, you know, it's huge, but people's palates have changed and people's kind of um, expectations of, of hoppy beers have changed. Um, but it's still, it's still such a lovely sessionable beer. I think, I think that's an interesting point that you made there early on about the, obviously Sean was very much inspired by 
probably that first taste of Sierra Nevada Palau and, and, and wanted to create, uh, I suppose, his own version of it. And, and I actually think you can you can see the similarities in, in, in this beer to, to the Sierra Nevada Parallel. Um, yes, it uses the same hop, but certainly for, for me and I know for a lot of people, a lot of people kind of hold the, the Sierra Nevada up as kind of the benchmark of the style. But this 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 is exactly what I would expect if somebody told me you're going to get an original Parallel this is what I would be expecting to, to, to drink. I mean, at, at the ABV 4.3%, it's, it's really sessionable. It's really light, but it, it does have a, a lovely bitterness on the finish that, that just brings it all together. And it's, it's one of those drinks where it's got that sort of bitterness that once it hits you, you, you want to go in for a little bit more to quench the bitterness. And, and that's, that's a great skill that you brewers have because it, it just keeps bringing you back to the beer to drink more and more of it. Well, it's it's something. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a term. I don't think it exists yet. I'd love to get it in the dictionary if it doesn't. But repurchasability. That's what I like. It's um, you know, you go back for more. Go back for more. Um, it's like a good book. You know, you can't put it down. But every time, every time you do go back to the bit, as subtle as it is, there's 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 a lot to sort of unpack. Um, and each time, each time you go back to it, there's, there's there is something that a little bit, you know, um. Little bit, there's something extra that sort of comes out every time you, you sort of it lands on your palate. Um, but the reason I'm, I, I just to touch on that, I mentioned um, about obviously people's expectations and everything. Um, just to, if I may, um, so John Bryan, who is the production director at Oakham, used to be head brewer, um, he, he once told me um, the beer JHB that they brew and it won the uh, GBBF, which is rightly so his proudest moment. Um, but he had people, or more recently, he's had people sort of saying, "Why, why have you changed? Why have you changed JHB? Why, why is it? Why is it less hoppy now? Why have you? Why have you done that? Why have you dumbed it down?" He says, "I haven't. It hasn't changed at all. If anything, you might have added a little bit more hop to it." But he said, "No, it hasn't changed at all." But what? What? He, and he describes it his, his words. I think it kind of resonates a little bit, certainly with this beer and 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 um, what what's around it at the moment. But he calls it hop cream. But just over the last sort of five, ten years, people's palates have changed that much where they can tolerate much sort of uh, more intense bitterness and, and dry hop and, and, and all these other flavours and aromas that come along. That The perception is that these beers, and I'm including Yankee in it, and I'm not, I'm not talking it down, but the perception is that these beers have somehow, you know, brewers have, have somehow sort of um, changed them or whatever, but we haven't. It, it's you know this, this beer is, is the same beer it has been for 27 years but hop creep there's the, the you know the, the demand for more hop forward beers and people's palates and tolerances within that have just accelerated so much recently that um that yeah it, it's um it i don't know it's interesting but it, it's still it's still the biggest volume beer we make and and that's you know testament to what sean sean created and, what, and, you know, hopefully what we've continued. Yeah, and I think Steve's point about that, the Sierra Nevada parallel, what Sean managed to do was take its component parts and make it into a cask beer as mm. well. And a, a, a cask beer, unlike most other cask beers that were around at the time as well. Um, and, you know, I would say this definitely stands up still as a, a quality example of a parallel both from cask and I presume you can get this in 
or keg as well now? We do. When we started canning the beer, we initially we bottled it actually, and then then we bought our, our first canning line in six years, six seven years ago, six years ago. Um, yeah, we that, that's at that point we started kegging it as well. Um, um, so the, the only difference really is for the canning keg beer. There's a little bit of um, dry hop going on in conditioning which doesn't happen for the cask beer and the reason for doing that is because we filter we filter the beer um so we just kind of um added a little bit of dry hop knowing that we were going to take we, we you know invariably going to strip some flavor and aroma away so we tried to just find that balance by sort of it's almost like adding adding a bit knowing that we're going to take it away again just so hopefully that, that, that the finished beer was still very sort of um similar to, to the cask beer so me and Steve, uh, firstly, thank you very much for sending us the beers. And uh, we both had a can of Yankee very recently. And I think Steve messaged me to say, you can really see the cask heritage in the beer, even when you're drinking it from the can. You can see the origins of it. And I think yep. um, that sessionability and that wanting to just, you might think about drinking some other beers, but like you say, you'll repurchase because it goes down so well, that dry hit you need to refresh it again and again. Yeah. I think you've heard this beer. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I mean, my, we've, I think the plan is to touch on my background a little bit more, but um, it's probably a good point to just mention. Um, so my previous employer, the, well, the head brewer I worked for, he was ex-Webster's out of Halifax, you know, the big, big, big brewery, and he put some time at Bass. And, um, but in terms of when you've got a, a product like this, which is, you know, um, at one point it was kind of 60% of what we brew. I, I, I couldn't tell you the percentage now. It's probably dropped because we've got beers like Babyface Assassin now coming along, which eats up a lot of volume as well. Um, but Gordon, who I used to work for, really drilled into this sort of, when you've got a, a pale ale that is um, all year round and we've got our own wet strain of yeast, you know, um, that we rely on, which, so when you're saying sort of cast beer personified in a can, I think a lot of that comes from the yeast that we use. And it's, it's our own house strain, which if you trace its roots back, I think it came from back, from Thwaites back in the early nineties, it derived from Thwaites, um, Thwaites is wet strain. So there, there's a very traditional sort of, um, history there for you. But, um, but Gordon, when I worked for Gordon, um, he said, you know, for, certainly for cask beer, pale ale, or for any beer really, but but when it's when it's something that's brewed all year round, and it's not just a session, session, uh, sorry, session, a seasonal beer that you know you're relying on packet yeast, and you can move on to the next one. Um, it, you know, he just said, he said, I want, I want the guy in the pub, the guy what goes into the pub, orders a pint of, in this case, Yankee, and he goes and sits down, and takes twenty minutes to drink his pint, goes back and orders another pint. Little does he know that he's just had the last pint out of the last cask. The landlords change the cask over, put the new one, clean the line, put the new new fresh cask on. And he's just had the first pint out of the second cask. And they could be two different batches of beer, but the same beer. He said, the guy parting with his £3.50 or whatever it might be. <laughs> I don't know what it is down where you are, but you know, <laughs> £3.50, £3.50 for his pint. He should not know that they are two different casks, let alone two different brews. You know, it's consistency, consistency, consistency. And when you've got, you know, that's that's what we do. Um, you know, I've drilled it into the guys at work, you know, our team there. It, it's so important to keep that consistency going because, you know, you're asking for people to part with their money. Um, 
you know, to, to drink the beer. But then also, um, it, 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 people at work then buy into why we're doing what we're doing, I think. Um, you know, 90% of what we do in the brewery is cleaning. You know, let's not dress it up as anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's so important to, for that. But I, I think, um, I think Sean just hit on something amazing. Um, and he, he, he was under the radar for so many years. So yeah, many I, years. I think, I think you mentioned there that, you know, roosters are often cited as being the, the, the first craft brewery that existed in, in, in the UK. And, and that's, that's going back to what was it? 94 when, when, when Sean Franklin 90, started it? 93 when it was um, properly established. But um, 94, yeah, 94 was when certainly Yankee started to get traction. Yeah. So, so to tell us a little bit about the, the, the history of Roosters, going back to, to, to when Sean first started it and, and then sort of like, you know, almost bringing us up to date because obviously he, he sold it to, to, to your family. There's, there's, there's some history in there. I mean, I'll, I'll let you do the talking rather than telling you all about your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, you might regret that. But, um, yeah, so, so Sean's, Sean's, um, Sean's background in the, going back to the 60s, I think, late 60s, early 70s, he was in winemaking and um, he studied in Bordeaux. Um, and um, I think, you know, by his own admission, he failed winemaker um, just because he didn't pass the exams or anything. It doesn't mean he was, he was no good. But he came back to the UK um, and just the most incredible palate of anybody I've ever met. Um, but he, in the early 80s, I think, he started to see um, properties and flavor, you know, with flavor and aroma from the, that you'd associate with grapes. He started to to recognize those in hops, which was accelerated when he tried Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. But um, so he he started to, to sort of brew uh, early eighties, I believe. He had Franklin's Brewery, which, funnily enough, is where I live now, um, or where I grew up actually. I'm still in the same. Although I've been and gone out of Harrogate, but come back, but where I'm living now, it's it's about a 15 minute walk from my house. It was an outbuilding uh, of a, a Sam Smith's pub down the road, and he, he set up Franklin's Brewery there, um, and he really started to play around with towards the end of the 80s, sort of play around with hops and things like that. Um, and what, but what he what he did um, because um, to, to sort of subsidise the the work. He was actually a taxi driver at the same time um, as Franklin's Brewery. And he used to combine um, delivering the beer with his taxi runs. <laughs> Sensible. <laughs> he'd, put a, he'd, put a cask, he'd put a cask of beer in the boot and then go do his run and, and sort of combine if he, you know, he was going going to wherever, you know, near that pub or whatever. Um, but then, yeah, um, after the sort of beer orders um, announcement in the early 90s, um, which I don't know a great deal of, if I'm honest with you. Um, he, he, he sort of refocused again, had another go and, and founded Roosters. Um, and like I say, he's, he kind of had this epiphany, epiphany moment with, um, with Sierra Nevada, Nevada Pale Ale and um, it just drove him on and, and he started to produce these weird, say weird and wonderful, they probably were back then, to, to sort of to Yorkshire palate, you know. <laughs> down the pub, you know, but it was cask only, but um, he started to make these amazing beers. Um, but around the time, late late 70s, early 80s, my dad 
moved up from, he's a Lancastrian uh, by birth, but he, he went and worked in the city um, till 78. And he moved, moved, then moved up to Yorkshire. Um, and he was, but he was a um, camera member since day one. And um, he got to know Sean in the early eighties. Um, yeah, my dad had a few, he had, um, uh, eventually ended up um, opening a few pubs, not a few pubs as sort of hobbies, if you like, um, and, and traded with Sean, bought a lot of Sean's beers and showcased Sean's beers. And, and by the end of the 90s, my dad um, um, left, left, his, left his sort of main job and founded uh, a small pub company that grew to sort of 15 pubs, uh, you know, across, across sort of North and West Yorkshire. Um, but constantly trading with Sean and buying tra- Sean's beers. And I worked in the pubs and we uh, so did Tom, um, my twin. Um, we used to uh, drink, drink the beers often and really, really enjoyed them. Um, so we were all sort of fully aware of Roosters um, and loved it. It was great. Um, and then I left, when I left school, so Tom and I are twins, we went to different schools, which is a completely different matter. But um, Tom went off to university and got a degree in media and um i left knowing i didn't want to go to university for a little while i had sort of um aspirations to be a PE teacher or something like that but couldn't be you know just didn't want to go to university and do that kind of thing um but but through dad we always had this kind of affinity to beer um and so i went down the job center one day because my mum was sort of well, you know, if you can't pay, you know, she's like, judge me rent. If you can't pay your rent, then I'll top up and, I'll, you know, you'll get a bill eventually. So go get a job. And I went down the job centre and there was a job in the local brewery, Daleside, in Harrogate. Um, and so I got an interview and went down there. I didn't tell my dad anything about it. I uh, went down there and got the job at Daleside. Um, and, yeah, just just was lucky enough to, to sort of get thrown into production and, and had re- four and a half really good years there. Um, and at the same time, I was working in a pub in town, which was uh, one of my dad's, the old bell. So I was able to try the, the handful beers on, on the bar and, you know, to retain a uh, landlord, just fell in love with that beer. Um, but yeah, there was there was a lot of exciting beers went through the through the hand pumps. Roosters, certainly one of them, but Durham, Durham at the time were making some cracking pale ales. Um, Goose Eye, you know, these kind of beers, um, breweries. And then um, what actually happened is, I think it was about 2003, um, I sent Sean a letter just on the off chance that there might be a, a job going at Roosters. So I thought, well, I might as well, you know, I was sort of thought I'd sort of expand my experiences a little bit. And I wrote to Sean saying, have you got any jobs going? Um, and he, he sent me this letter back saying, no, sorry, but if you'd like to meet for a drink, I'll gladly talk to you and just, you know, you know, get to know you and sit and see what's what. So I met him for a pint one night. Or actually it was really, really nice. What 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 sort of surprised me, but it's really, really nice. It's something I do now. Uh, I'm I, I met him for a pint. He had two halves, but two different beers, and he was just tasting them against each other. Um, which was really, really, really um memorable. But continue continually sort of just uh teaching himself. And, and testing the market and seeing what was out there, and you know, um, so I anyway, I went for a, a pint with Sean, um, and he basically said, "Look, sorry, there's no jobs going, but you know, why not 
you know, don't don't stop looking further afield, or don't you know, never stop questioning or, or sort of trying to challenge yourself. So um, uh, from that point, I left and I joined um, a brewery called Copper Dragon, who just started up in Skipton, twenty five miles from here, and I got a job over there as production brewer, um, and but was still very much a massive fan of Brewsters. Um, and there were some pubs in town when I moved over to Skipton that still stock roosters and I was able to go and try the beers and everything like that. Um, so <laughs> that's more about me than roosters. But yeah, Sean was still... Um, Sean was still making these incredible pale ales that, that showcased hops um, and winning awards. I mean, he won the World Beer Cup, I think it's five times. One year, one, he, he, I think he won it with... Uh, well, I think YPA won it two years, you know, a summer English summer ale two years running. And then the third year it didn't, I might be wrong, but the third year it didn't win. It was beaten by Leghorn, which was one of Sean's as well. So we got a gold and silver one year, you know, and it was just incredible. He was always just knocking these beers out of the park. Uh, yeah, and then so I, I worked over in Skipton for the best part of seven years there, I think. And um, around that time, unbeknown to me, my dad was looking at selling the pubs. My brother um, had got a job in a, as an editor for an industry magazine. Um, and it was, when that first recession hit, he was kind of like last in, first out. Um, made redundant, but then he already started home brewing by this point and he'd got a massive sort of passion and interest in, in beer. Babyface Assassin started in his bathroom in Leeds. It was one of his home brews. Um, and yeah, around that time, my dad approached us and said, you know, do you want to start a brewery up? I thought, hell, <laughs> you know, wow. You know, 11 years, 11 years into the trade and, and, you know, um, the, the support, the only ever support I got off my dad was whichever, whichever brewery I work, worked at, he bought their beer, but he always bought their beer anyway, but you know, um, and so, yeah, we, we looked at, we looked at the possibility of starting up, um, a brewery and then, which was not known to Sean Franklin at the time at all. So completely out of the blue, Sean was looking to retire and he needed someone to take the brewery on. And he, he picked up the phone to me, the old man, and said, do you want to buy roosters? I know that Ols a brewer because obviously met me. He was aware that what I was, I was working over in Copper Dragon in Skipton. And he's like, you know, do you want to buy roosters? I think it'd be a good fit. And that's, that's kind of where it all sort of came together. You know, cost a bit more money than we were anticipating, but um, um, that, that's where it all sort of all, all came together. And, and between myself and my dad and Tom, we've got a nice kind of mix of um, our backgrounds. You know, dad's been active active in camera since since its offset, and you know, I've been brewing now for maybe twenty one years. This July, um, Tom's our commercial manager because um, you know he's got that skill set, but he's you know, he knows he knows the nuts and bolts of brewing because he homebrewed before, and yeah, it all you know, kind of gelled quite nicely. We 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 love listening to to brewers and their stories. You know, the, the only problem is that the Yankee only comes in a three thirty can, and I've I've, I've, <laughs> yeah. drained, I've drained mine about ten minutes ten minutes ago. Um, <laughs> it's it is just such a a drinkable sessionable pale ale. I think any final thoughts from you, Steve, before we crack open a second beer? 
It's it's just, it's just delicious. It's just it's it's it is so easy to drink, and it is it's exactly what I look for for that sort of style of beer. It's um it ticks all the boxes for me. It really does. Moving on to our second beer of the evening, we have a bit of a departure. Having talked for so long about the tradition of Yankee and how long it's been around, um, we are now drinking Go Backer, a Vermont Session IPA that comes in at three point six percent and is in the aforementioned 440 milliliter can. Um, so I reckon, as me and Steve tuck into it, perhaps, Ol, you can uh, tell us a little bit about the beer and um, your thinking behind bringing it out. A lot, a lot of discussions sort of take, take place between myself and, and Tom um, um, surrounding sort of new beers and, and beers we've tried and, and, and places we kind of go to and places we want to sort of take our beer range to as well. Um, and this this one, I think it was oh, maybe about a year ago we, we we first brewed this one, but um, you know, as 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 um, at the forefront of everything that Sean was um, since we moved the brewery to the new site, um, we've kind of found ourselves sort of chasing chasing other people's tails a little bit in terms of um, you know uh, beers that people want to drink and, and, and uh, compared to. Um, you know some of the beers we make, I suppose. But um, so we, we were completely aware of the, you know, the, the sort of craze for um, hazy IPAs and East Coast, and you know, um, and you know, we brewed session IPAs before. Um, so we thought, yeah, we just thought we'd do a Vermont session IPA and, and go for it. And it's using it's using um, a Vermont yeast strain, obviously. Um, the beer itself uh, is a combination of there's not a great deal of wheat or oats in the beer. Um, the yeast itself is 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 very sort of fruity. Um, the IBUs the IBUs have been kept extremely low, um, but we just really tried to turn up uh, the dry hopping um, or, or the end of boil edition hops as well, and the dry hopping just to sort of create um, a really um, not too bitter, sort of nice smooth on the on the palate beer. Steve, what's your what's your first verdict on the beer? Uh, it's again it's really light it's um it's very soft in 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 terms of the mouthfeel um there's some really kind of light sort of stone fruit going on in there um and it it just finishes really really easy um there's there's a there's a slight dryness and and I'm picking up a little bit of an earthiness on the finish as well but it 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 just all comes together in into what is a a very very easy drinking 3.6% session IPA yeah I, I not too much to add to that I mean I, I noticed a couple of things on, on the can um you've got the calories on the can which you know mm-hmm. not everyone does and it apparently this is practically a health drink for me and Steve on a Monday night 126 <laughs> calories um but yeah I mean that yeah, Steve sort of described it but it's also uh gluten-free this beer isn't it is this your first gluten-free that's right beer? yeah yeah um so all our beers apart from um Obviously, where we're adding um, lactose or, or something similar. For a few years now, all our beers have been vegan friendly, and then this one, uh, this is the first one. Um, I think we might be trying the, the second one later. That is part of our new sort of core range um, that are gluten free. So this one, we wanted to do gluten free beer for a while, um, and we chose we chose this one. The first time we brewed it, it wasn't gluten free, um, but we chose this one because of where it sits within ABV. And where it sits within the sort of um, style and the kind of demand for that kind of style at the moment, so we just wanted to kind of make it as accessible to as many people as possible. 
Um, so yeah, this is the first. This is the first gluten-free beer we we produce. If this had been my first exposure, or this kind of beer was the first exposure to a Vermont style of East Coast beer, I may have been able to grow into it a bit more gradually, rather than the really fruit-heavy and literally heavy beer with the higher ABV. Because this is just a superbly sessionable beer. And, you know, I can imagine coming back from a, a bike ride in the spring or summer. But after that, this would be a fantastic beer to have after a bike ride, wouldn't it? Yeah, just really refreshing. It would absolutely hit the spot. While we enjoy this, let's talk some more about the um, what, what seems to be the integration of your, your, your family's life and 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 sean's development of the the, the brewery and, and, and roosters and obviously the inevitable point at which you you mentioned that um you, you know your dad entered into talks with with sean to take over the the, the business now you've owned it for about 10 years now is it that you've you've it'll be well i've been there since may 2011 and we took over end of november that year yeah. so end of november this year we'll have owned it for 10 um, so in 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 those 10 years coming into an established business as, as as new owners obviously you would have wanted to have i guess put your own stamp on things but while continuing the nod to the tradition and and, and to what sean had already established what what was it like coming in at the beginning and and how have you seen the business essentially grow over, over those 10 years? I didn't know at the time, but I wasn't really ready for what I was going to learn from Sean. And I worked for Sean or with Sean for seven months. And I learned more in those seven months than I had in the previous 11 years. Um, incredible. Just incredible. What, you know, incredible person to, to you know, very humble to, to sort of work alongside Sean. You know, uh, from from flavor, and you know, um, and, you know, he talk, you know, talk about you know, dr um, drinking beers and the palate and everything like that. Um, but a little bit more about the why we do things, uh, which I learned from Gordon as well. But so Dale said it was kind of like the how we do things, and then then it was you know later on in 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 my career it was kind of the how we do things. So it was nice to marry those two things together. And then once Sean departed, um, and we took over. I then sort of married the two things together, the consistency and approach. And that, you know, I knew we had a quality product. We were making a quality product. It was just keeping it consistent. Um, because I hope Sean doesn't mind me saying, but Sean, Sean was his, biggest, his own biggest critic and he would change things from brew to brew. But he'd taste the beers and he would taste things that no one else could taste, but his palate was so refined that he'd find something he didn't like and he'd change it. Um, whereas, you know, you and me and Joe Bloggs and that wouldn't have necessarily recognised that. Um, so I was just keen to, once we hit on something that we, um, as a family and as a business, that we said, right, this is the quality we're after. It was then, my main thing then was like, right, that's the con that quality has to be consistent. And, it, and, and so I sort of imparted a lot of what I learned from, from Gordon um, into that and um yeah still do so um but yeah it's more about it's just maintaining quality and consistency and like i touched on at the very beginning you know um the consumer should not be able to tell the difference 
between batch to batch, whether it's can, keg, cask, whatever, you know, you're selling them a product at the end of the day. You know, they're, 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 they're investing in, in what you're doing. So for me, it's just so important that, you know, and the big boys do it. Big boys do it all the time, you know, constantly. You know, the, the beers, but, you know, we can all we can all conjure up a, a, a when I say big boy, you, something will come to your mind, Steve, and yours, Martin, and all that. But the consistency, you might disagree with the, um, you know, the, the flavor profile of the beers, but the quality, the, the consistency is there to their level of quality, you know, their, their, what, what they deem to be their quality. It's consistent. And so I try and impart that into, even though we're much, much smaller than these these big boys, I just tr- still try and impart that into to what we do day to day, week to week, you know. And especially having our own our own strain of yeast, it's imperative that we, we look after it. Um, in parts, um, there's a massive part of DNA, of the yeast DNA in our, in our bits. So we've got to be, Everybody's got to be, be singing from the same hymn sheet, you know. And, and you know, a lot of it does. A lot of it does come down to the fact that it's, you know, cleaning brewers. Brewers essentially, we don't make the beer. The yeast makes the beer. We're just, we just we we go in and make sure that the yeast's happy. You know, we we make sure that that environment for the yeast is the same as it was last week. It will be next week. You know, for the yeast to make the beer. Granted, you know, we've got to. The ingredients are, you know, they've got to be of the, the best quality that you can get. Um, and then it's how you use them. Not how much of, of them you put in necessarily, but it's how you use them. For some people, the word consistency doesn't get enough credence. credence. Mm. Um, consistency, as you say, let's, let's say Budweiser, for example. Um, yeah, I might not like the beer, but it's going to be exactly the same beer every time I have it, wherever I have it. So they are they are the best brewers in the world, you know. They might, you know, some people might think they sold the soul or whatever, but you know, criticize the brand or criticize the marketing team or whatever it is. But the people who are making the beer, they are they have got as much passion in making that beer as I have in making ours, and, and the, the next guy is making his. You know, don't doubt that. Um, but yeah, so I'm for me, consistency is 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 massive, especially when you know you, you're asking people to part with a hard their money. It shouldn't be a game of roulette. No, I mean, I, I, think, I don't think you get the argument from either the two hosts of the show tonight on that one. Um, we've both, you know, spent money in the past and come away a bit disappointed. But moving the, the brewery forward after you took it over and obviously the, you, you've married up your skills, the stuff you learned from Sean. But if I remember correctly, you were also one of the very early adopters of cans, weren't you, in this country? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, we... Uh, the, the conversation first came from my dad, um, like I say, a very active camera member. Um, he he recognised um, what was coming down the track. He's very, very astute in that kind of way. Um, but yeah, he recognised, he, he posed the question to both Tom and myself and said, you know, we, we flirted a little bit with bottling our beers um, off-site. And he kind of said, well, I think I think cans are going to be the next big thing. What do you reckon? And we, we, we were sort of like, yeah, but yeah, he, he sort of said to us, you know, it was middle of 2014. He and I went down to London and had a trip down to London, and we, we went round to uh, we went to Camden Brewery as it was uh, back in the, under the arches back then, and then we went over to uh, there was Beaver Town and Four Pure, and I can't remember which one we went to. 
but we went and looked at the, the, the machines that they had. They were by the same manufacturer, and they were but they were fully automated, big, you know, nice big, big kits. Um, and we met one of the engineers slash reps from that company in London, and he showed us around these two penny lines, and we, we committed to go with them. Um, more, it was more one of their entry level, much more manual kind of canning machines. But we committed to that, and we commissioned it in December fourteen. And we were the first brewery, first small craft independent brewery outside of London um, to do that. Um, from memory, we were seven months ahead of Magic Rock. Um, but, you know, and it, 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 was, it was the best decision. Looking back, it was the best decision at the, at the right time. Um, we, we kind of had the crest of a wave for six months because no one else was, you know, there was us, Camden, Pure, and uh, Beavertown who the three of those were all independent at the, at the time, you know, um, and we, we rode the crest of the wave. We were not prepared for, for the level of interest and the, and the, the level of sales that, that we got. Um, and, and we grew the, the, the brewery massively. Yeah. We, we noticed when, when magic rock started panning, we noticed the, the dent in our sales and then others came along, you know, others, others, um, other breweries sort of started canning, canning, at the same time, and, and a lot of mobile canning companies, you know, saw the light, and and, and they were they were quick off the bat. But yeah, we had a little blip, sort of October, November, and we thought, all oh, right, that's it, that's over then. But no, we 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 it continued, and we you know we grew, and in 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 making that decision and taking taking that t- taking the, the the decision at that moment, it really is is the the sort of cornerstone to why we have ended up moving sites. And to bigger premises, and you know, and a bigger brew house, and so yeah, um, yeah, I can't take credit for that one. That was my old man. That. So you say you've moved to uh, a bigger site now, and you've also now got um, taproom on on site, which must have uh, have been great to have been able to get your 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 beer to the local community as as, as fresh as possible. Sean founded the brewery in Harrogate, and then back in two thousand and one. He moved premises to uh, a neighbouring town called Naresbury. So he moved about five miles as the crow flies. And from 2001 up until 2019, the brewery was in Naresborough. And then we brought the brewery back to Harrogate in 2019. Was was that an important move for you to make at that time, Was to, to bring it back to Harrogate? Or was it purely simply just the case of that's where the best site was that, that, that you found? Yeah, it was the best site. Um, it was. It, it turned out to. It was the best site um, and, and logistically, but also, you know, the, the sort of space. It was slightly bigger than we, we anticipated taking, but when we weighed up the the pros and cons, certainly location wise, it was it was ideal. Um, but we did before that. We actually sort of cast down it a little bit further afield and thought, you know, as long as as long as the water supply is still. The same as as, as Nairsborough, Harrogate and Nairsborough fed on more often than not fed on the same water supply. So that was important. As long as it's the same water supply. Um, so we didn't rule anything out. We looked at premises in Nairsborough. We looked at one or two, excuse me, just outside Harrogate. And then we found this one, um, which is located on the York to Leeds branch line, on the train line. Uh, and there's a train stop route. Yeah, a, a fast walk. We were about five minutes away from the brewery. Um, we knew we wanted to open up a tap room. 
Um, the one we've ended up with is far bigger than we thought we'd have, but it's actually proved proved to be a good a good size because you know before before the pandemic or even in between the uh, the first lockdown and that pretend second lockdown we had, we still did we still did a great amount of trade and there was a lot of footfall. You know, okay, we've noticed we noticed there's a lot of um, local businesses were closed, so we didn't really see the the sort of five pm Friday rush. What we did see is that those people were coming back with their families, and you know, it was quite nice. Um, so yeah, we 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 got the right site at the right time. Like I say, it was a little bit bigger. Probably still is a little bit too big for us, but hopefully we can grow into it. Um, but yeah, it just came along at the right time. Um, and the move, we did the move. Uh, we chose. We went out to tender to a few a few um, companies for the brew house and everything but we chose to stick with a manufacturer we'd used previously who built all our fermenters and conditioning tanks and everything um so i designed it took my drawings down there to him and said you know can you build this and he got his red marker pen out it was like having your homework marks in front of you it was terrible <laughs> right, this guy. Um, so i was like can you build this this is what i want and he kind of said what what have you done that for why is that there why is that there Anyway, we um, it was great. It was really, really nice. It was, it was built, the whole brew house was built in um, Burton on Trent. In fact, we've got two brew houses. We've got a thirty barrel and a ten barrel. Um, but certainly the thirty barrel um, that was very much um, they built what I wanted um, based on my you know previous experiences and everything. So we took that decision to do that, and then the install I oversaw it. Um, which was a lot more challenging than I thought it would be. Um, took up a lot more time. It ate into my mental health quite a lot. But um, it, you know, uh, we got the job done in the end. I mean, the 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 the, the chimney, the chimney stack out of the thirty barrel, out of the um, the the kettle, it goes up and it's right angled straight out of the building. Well, I was on the cherry picker, locating that, and on the outside of the building, I was on the cherry picker putting the chimney stack on with the engineer. Um, not one for heights either, but, um, you know, a lot of swearing went on there. And, you know, so I was very much hands-on with, with the with the install um, rather than just sitting back and letting the team do it. Um, there was me and invariably, most most times, there was just one guy, a fabricator, who, who's worked for us previously as well, a local guy. So we wanted to, you know, reward him with the contract and, um, but it had me a lot more involved than I anticipated. And um, but when you sit back and look at it, you think, Do you know what? Yeah, excellent. Every single vessel that's in the brew house, I located. I was on the forklift. So I was. I was. You know, I I put it there. I sized it up. You know, millimeter by millimeter. It's all there. I was involved in 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 doing it. Um, so although it, it mentally it was a massive strain. Um, you know, there's you, when you look back, you think like anything you do at home, any DRI or anything like that. You know, it could be, could be just something piddly, but you know, you you look back and you think, well, I did that. Who who was brewing the beer at the old site while you was building the new one? But yeah, so we had this we had this great team, and, and, and my brother Tom oversaw it all um, back on the old site, um, and they did it. They did an amazing job. But they were, you know, credit where credit's due. They were a real sort of linchpin in keeping things together and and, and they made you know the, the consistency didn't dip it would have been so important to have have, have continued to get in the, the, the beer out just as you're about to take a step up into a brand new brewery 
that's going to be producing more of the beer. So mm-hmm. you've got you've got to keep the demand going while you're building the new facility, and and then obviously the thing that you you keep mentioning, we keep coming back to is 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 how important consistency is for for you as as a brewery as well. So the the whole process of moving into a new brew house, and again making sure that first cask out of the new brew house tastes exactly the same as the last one out of the old brew house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Stu, I was so fortunate to have Stu. Stu, Stu still, you know. He's a massive, massive help um, in, in in what he does for, for the company and for me personally. Um, but when, even before Tom and my dad and myself discussed moving site, I already had a, I'd already started to think about if we were to move, what are the things that I need to focus on to replicate, as to not. To, to you know, to, to, to reproducing the beer, so people couldn't go. Oh, well, that's changed. And that's changed. That's changed. And it was water profile, um, uh, the um, the kettle, the the brew kettle. Um, I tried to keep the design very, very similar to uh, in terms of the steam jackets and the pressure we hit the steam jackets with. Um, tried to reproduce, recreate the the same kind of boil as we had on the old site because a much more vigorous boil would, would impart more colour and would impart more bitterness. Um, we moved from all whole leaf hops to a combination of T90s and whole leaf. That was different. We bought a mill, so we could mill our own gra- mill of grain to our own specification where we bought it in pre-milled before. There was a lot of um, movable um, uh, parts, if you like, that, that could change. Um, so, in, in all honesty, for about a year and a half before we actually signed up on this site, once we knew, we, we, we've been talking for a year or so about moving, and my thought was just straight away, was just like, right, my first thought was, um, how the hell do I make sure that no one sees a difference? Um, and so, and one thing we, did, we didn't do, um, we did not tell people, we didn't make a big song and dance about the first, this is the first brew on the new site and this is the last brew on the old site. Because if, if, if to do that, we'd have given some, we'd have given people something to look for. Whether they found it or not, they'd have found it. You know what I mean? If we'd have said, this is the first brew, people, rightly or wrongly, could have, could have sort of come to a conclusion and said, oh, well, it's changed, it's different, blah, blah, blah. So we didn't. We purposely did not tell anybody that we'd started brewing on the old site. No, sorry, on the new site and stopped on the old site. Um, I think that's. I think that's a wise move because, as you say, you've already implanted the seed consciously or subconsciously. And we, you know, we have the concept yeah. of unconscious bias, um, and people would then be looking for any little nuance and going, uh, "Sort of the same yeah. as the old site." Yeah, exactly that. And I mean, we. I, I was insistent that we calibrate the new site with Yan- with a brew of Yankee. And the first brew of Yankee, okay, the, the, the brew kettle, the, the steam jackets, I've got the surface area and everything. I worked it all out. I've got the, you know, the surface area is the same in terms of, um, it's a slightly bigger brew length than what we were on, but I just wanted to try and recreate the same kind of boil. Um, but we do get, we've got a much more um, enhanced and a much uh, better boiler that produces such, such better steam, drier steam, right? That um, that we, we we do get a better boil on it, um, 
And so the first brew of Yankee we did, well, we did one brew and we didn't just go, right, well, we're going to start brewing now. We waited till it fermented out. We conditioned it in cask. Um, and we set it up on the bar because we opened the tap room before we moved sites. Uh, so we opened the tap room in May and I think we started brewing in July. Um, and we put the two beers side by side. And I did a triangle taste test. Are you familiar with a triangle triangle taste test? So you you get um, you have two products, two beers, with the same beer, different batches, and you have two two glasses, the same and one different. And you just say to people, you know, you 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 know, taking if you're if you're doing the test, you know that A and C are the same and B is different. But you you say to people, just taste all three, and you tell me if you think one's different and which one is different. And it's amazing. More often than not, it's very often um, people will not land on the same one. But we did a triangle taste test, and it was fifty-fifty. So I said, you know, this is this is one of them's a Yankee brew. You know, they knew one was a Yankee brew on this new site. One was what well, two were, or, or the difference was it wasn't two and one. I didn't tell them which way around it was, but the difference was a Yankee brew on the old site versus a Yankee brew on on the new site. Um, and I made a note of people's um, comments, and, and it was fifty-fifty, which was enough for me to say, right, well, we're not going to put the, the 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 new Yankee, the first brew on the new site. We didn't put it out as Yankee. Um, I dry hopped it in condition, and then we put it out as a new beer, and then and then we modified. We had a little look, I because I I thought it was a little bit too bitter, so we we just had a little look at the hopping profile, and rebrewed it, and then I did a triangle taste test again. You're in the new brew house. Uh, you're producing a lot more beer now, and it's it's giving you the opportunity to produce some new beers as well, like the one that we've we've just been um, trying. Um, I finished the the, the, the go backer. Uh, I, I, again, I just found it really really easy to drink, really light, full of flavour. Yeah, I, it's it's the wrong time of year for it, but I've still really enjoyed it. So yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's nice to try a Vermont style beer that I am um, thoroughly rave about, to be honest. And, and you say this is now this is now part of your core range. Yeah, go back. Uh, we we sort of re we didn't revamp. We just added. We added a few beers. So we added go back into the core range. We added. Uh, we do a. Um, it's one of Stu's Stu's beers. It's a fantastic beer. We do a um, pineapple and grapefruit IPA called Roots Rock Reggae, uh, which is a Bob Marley song named after that. Um, um, which is one of Stu's beers. So that came onto the core range and a beer that we I think we're going to discuss a little bit later on called Better Late Than Never. That came onto the core range. So um, our core range has grown during lockdown, especially, but um, it's grown massively now. It, it, it sort of spans about 16 beers. Wow, that's, that's some core range. If it's uh, yeah, beers, different styles. Yeah. Different styles. There's a lot of pale ales in there. I mean, we're talking across cask, can, and keg. You know, some, some beers are cask only. Somebody's a can and keg only, you know. Um, but yeah, we 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 kind of broadened it to sort of um, try and reach as many people as we can and satisfy as many palates as we can. Well, we are going to move on now to a beer that certainly satisfies my palate, um, and I'm sure Martin's in the same ballpark as me with that. So let's move on to our third beer this evening. This is Babyface Assassin. It's a beer that you've mentioned a couple of times this evening, Noel, um, but it is also, it's, I know it's certainly a firm favourite of mine, um, and I know Martin's quite partial to a drop of this as, as well. But tell us, tell us about this beer, because I, th- I think you mentioned earlier, your, this is actually your brother's beer, isn't it? He, he designed the recipe for this. It was a homebrew beer. Yeah, he did. Um, so Tom, when he, 
when he came out of the the sort of publishing industry and and he ended up working working in pubs again, um, you know, literally to make ends meet. He got the homebrew bug and he started homebrewing. Um, and in fact, actually, after he came in the pubs, he started working at Beer Ritz in, in Leeds, in Heading Lake, which is sadly no longer open. Um, it was a real specialist beer beer shop. And Tom was working there and he started homebrewing. Um, and he hit upon the idea to, to do like a really sort of citra, citra heavy IPA, you know, all, all dumped in at the end of boil and... Um, he ended up he ended up getting the hops from um, Summer Wine Brewery, who again are sadly no longer with us. But um, they they bailed Tom out. He put sort of an SOS out, out on Twitter back in the day, and he managed to get like five hundred grams of citra from them. And so without Summer Wine Brewery, this beer wouldn't exist. Um, but he um, yeah he, he, he brewed this beer and he put it into bottles. He brewed it in his bathroom, or bottled it and put it out. Um, uh, you know, to, to sort of local home brewers and, and people who were interested on Twitter. We're talking 2010, I think. Um, and yeah, it just got traction and people loved it. Uh, and so then when, when we when we took, took Roosters on, uh, inevitably after a while, uh, the sort of local home brewers were like, well, when are you going to do bed stuff? When are you going to do bed like, Do you know what? Uh, never. Um, and then we, we kind of said, do you know what we will? We've got like a little 60 litre trial kit that we bought with the brewery. So go on, then we'll do one. And we did a little bottling run. People like absolutely loved it. It was a clone of Tom's recipe. Um, and then we did it again. There was the International Beer Bloggers Conference was in Leeds 2012, I think it was. Um, and we attended that. And we had to do like a round robin thing where you introduce yourselves to the brewery and then take a beer that you think people might might like. So we we took a, a cask and a hand pump um of babyface that we brewed on the on the trial kit. And we took it around all these beer bloggers and God, it was so well received. We were like, oh okay, right. Fair enough, yeah. People like it. So then we kinda went, all right, well do you know what? We'll brew let's brew a, a one off twenty barrel brew. So we've gone from bathroom to 60 litres brewed twice once bottled once canned uh, once uh, cast I'm sorry and then it was like do you know what let's just let's just do the 20 barrel brew and we'll, we'll get it done and then it's we can say we've done it and we've satisfied people's needs not so Tom handed the recipe over to me and I changed it slightly because if we'd have upscaled from from the bathroom brew to a 20 barrel brew we'd have been bankrupt in about six months <laughs> right the amount of hops the amount of hops that went in it I mean citrus citrus such a bully of a hop you know in a beer but we'd have been bankrupt so Tom gave the recipe to me so I kind of um, tweaked it and, and sort of um, made sure it was viable from a production point of view and also from an accounting point of view <laughs> um, I changed things around I added a little bit of Munich malt to the grist just to sort of beef the grist up a little bit for the mouthfeel just add a bit more of a malty back, backbone to it um, and yeah we brewed it as a 20 barrel barrel length beer under our outlaw project um, sort of uh, guys um, and people loved it and we're like oh right okay and about six months later we just took the decision we're like do you know what let's just put it as core range and it was cask only to begin with and then we bottled a little bit of it we decided to go into the 330s in bottle um, and then when we when we bought the canning line we did it you know bottled now and again and we bought the canning line we were like right it's going to be one of the core range beers um, so alongside Yankee and another beer that we don't brew anymore called 40, uh, Portsmouth 
Um, Babyface Assassin, Yankee and Portsmouth were the first three that we canned. And Yankee and Babyface Assassin just got traction. And Babyface Assassin still gets traction. And it's, it's great. Ten years ago, it was in a bathroom in Leeds. And now it's like, okay. <laughs> we, were, we were reluctant to brew it as a 60-litre thing. And now it's like, you know. But it's a great beer. It's a great beer. Um, and it's, it's nice. It's something that's quite nice that Tom and I can both kind of not claim as our, you know, it, it, it's, it's a joint thing. It's really, really nice. Tom did it, you know, he, he hit upon a cracking beer. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of nice that I've been able to help it along its way. But mostly, you know, the credit goes to Tom. For me, it's one of a handful of beers in the UK that I think I've, I've I think I've actually tried it across all formats, in, including the, the the bottled version of it. And again, it, it comes down to to what you've said so often. It's it's so consistent across every format that you try this on. It's and and, and as I said, I think it's one of that. There's only a few beers in the UK that I think if you had it no matter what dispense method you had it on, you could instantly tell what the beer was and you could instantly be able to say, you know what, it's as good on cask as it is on keg, as it is in the bottle, as it is in the can. And, and this is this is right up there for me. I think I've had it across all the formats as well, just judging by a quick look at Untapped. Um, it does, it's, it is a get, but I, I would say the same for Yankee, Steve, across all the formats, it works. Yeah. And we've spoken before, there are some beers, I think, uh, Fallbridge Jaipur pretty much works across all its formats. Um, I would argue that perhaps one of my favourite beers, Ghost Ship, for me, doesn't quite work on cake in quite the same way as cask. It, it doesn't let you down, this beer. Whereas a few other beers that came out maybe around about the same time, I don't feel quite the same love for them as I do for this one. So it's really nice to actually hear the, the story of it, that essentially a bathtub in Leeds was where it all began. Yeah, it's very kind of you to say so. Yeah, we're we're... we're as you know brothers and more widely as a team we're um you know we're very grateful to what this what this beer's kind of kind of done for us but we're at the same time we as is every beer that we we brew you know we just show it it's, it's just about um you know it, it's it, it's the respect for the customer it's the respect for the person who's you know worked hard worked, worked hard all day to then part with their money i i just it, for me, it's you know, it's just respect to give to, to make sure that they're getting the same experience over and over again. To be anywhere in the country, and 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 all being well, you know, you see the beer on a hand pump or or in a fridge, um, or on keg, that you know what it's going to taste like. You know, that's so important for me. Um, is that? But the last the last question I'd ask myself is, would I be happy to receive that? You know putting a pint on the bar top, would I be happy with that? And if the answer was no, I'd, I'd go again and, you know, make sure that the customer gets the best, you know, and that's, that's just so important to me. I just, yeah, I think, I think as a team and as a brewery, uh, Babyface really sort of, probably more so than Yankee, you know, the consistency of it is, you know, it, it's something to be proud of. Well, before it sneaks up and finishes us off, <laughs> um, we, we, we should probably get into this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. 
Brilliant. Which was around brewery provenance and, and how important it is when buying a beer. So we had 340 votes on this one. Um, 73.2% of people saying yes. 26.8% of people saying no. Now, obviously, oh, for you, um, being family-owned independent brewery who are very conscious about where they're based in the local community and and making sure you keep that history and tradition you know you've mentioned you've got a lot of links with local producers the people that built the new brewery were local you said you wanted to keep it local you do a lot of work with with, with, with tailors using some of their ingredients in 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 your beers as well how important is the the concept of provenance to to, to you as the head brewer but also to to roosters as the brewery it's massively important really um we um from the tap room to the brewery we 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 buy local we support you know we want as many local suppliers as possible whether that's um you know a gin for the tap room shelf or whether it's um you know consumables for the for the brewery whether it's PPE or whatever because we do have a local firm that we use um, but yeah in terms of in terms of making the beers we make yeah we've worked with Taylor and Harrogate we've worked with those guys for a few years now um, we've used I think we've done three beers with their teas and two or two spring to mind with their coffees um, I mean we're, we're fortunate to have such a, a a leading brand on our doorstep um, but we're very, very fortunate in the fact that those guys sort of buy into what we do as well. Um, so provenance for me is is, is huge. It's just, it, it's it's making the best of, um, or harnessing the best of what you've got around you to sort of work together um, and, and using ingredients or, or supplies. But at the same time, it's all about people for me as well. It, it's creating a kind of nice network of of, of people to work with um, uh, you know, as much as sort of putting um, putting money back into the local economy. Um, but like, I mean, for example, the guys, the guys at Taylor's, um, the tea buyers. I've got such a great relationship with the tea buyers at Taylor's that um, a few years ago, our hot merchants, Charles Fairham, um, I did a series of brews, little sixty barrel brew, sixty liter brews. Sorry with some of their experimental hops that their growers um, had, had, had grown and, and there, was, there wasn't enough for a commercial brew. And they sent, they sent six different hops up for me to brew with and showcase as a pale ale. Um, but I was fortunate enough to... I, I, I took them, approached the tea buyers at Taylor's and took the hops along and said, right, you know, rub and sniff because these guys fly all over the world, you know, buy tea from all over the world. Um, and and their descriptors are so much broader than than mine. Um, so I, t- I, t- I took I took six samples of pops and went and sat in their MD's office with the tea buyers. I think it was five of them and, and me. And I just said, look, I, I, I've had a rub and sniff, and the guys at work have had a rub and sniff of these hops. I'd like you to to rub and sniff and just tell me what you get from them. So then we can we collectively can give give our feedback to the to our, our, our merchants and, and in turn to the growers. And having that relationship um, is huge. Um, but yeah, in terms of provenance, yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I go to, 
you go to Cornwall or you go to the Lake District, you know, they're very kind of two sort of insular sort of places where if you go there, you want to experience the Lake District, you want to experience Cornwall, you want to experience um, what's made there or uh, and what's made from what's grown there and, you know, all of that. I'm absolutely behind that completely. Um, it's great. The one thing I will say is... Um, uh, as much as I'm a fan of that, and I do, you know, you, you go to local places, and it doesn't have to be in this country, you know, travel abroad and, and you try the local sort of um, dish or the local uh, drink. Um, absolutely, you try it and, you you know, you pay for it and you invest in that sort of economy. And, you, you know, the one thing I will say that it is not, is it's not a quality stamp. When you see locally produced, you know, I'm I'm like, right, okay, I'll I'll try that. And you're putting money back into the local economy and, and, and you know, you're helping sustain um, people's livelihoods and everything. But one thing I'm, one thing I'm clear on is when I'm doing that, it, it doesn't mean it's, it, it's, it's not a quality stamp, you know. Um, look, cameras, low kale, absolutely on board with that. It's great. You know that you're, you know, this beer has been produced within 25 miles and the, and the pub, the pub are supporting the local brewery and the local economy and all that. Absolutely. Right. So low kale, do you know what? I'll try that because I know. That, that, that I'm put, putting money back into the local economy and everything. Um, I may not like the beer that comes out the pump, but I've put, I've, I, 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 you know, at least I've, I've offered the gestures there, put the money back into the local economy. But yeah, it's not a quality stamp. Let's let's take a look at what some of the listeners have fed back. So first of all, from Katsuel, uh, Katrinas, it's important to me to know what I'm buying. Last thing you want is to find out it's one of these fake craft brands, which are actually big brands. It's also important to me to support local businesses, whether that's the makers or the shops that sell it. This is not just about supporting the local economy, but also about being aware of how environmentally damaging shipping beer across the world can be. I can't completely avoid that due to ingredients such as hops and where they are grown, but it's a small step I can take. From Sean O'Reilly at Uncrulia, my favourite pubs locally always support local breweries, so drinking local is easy for me usually. When I'm ordering online, I generally prefer to buy from breweries that I have connections with. They might not be local to me, but I know that they are part of their, that I know I'm part of their communities. And then from Steve at Beer Nouveau, absolutely, for me, it's not just about where it's brewed. I want that information so I know who I'm supporting. Last thing you want to think, you're supporting a small indie only to find out it's a big contract brewed and the indie is going to be getting barely any of the money. From Owen Walsh, Owen Walsh, 100%. I wouldn't say it beats quality as the primary determinant, but buying local is still hugely important for me when I think about what I drink. Belgium is home to the world's largest brewer and experienced firsthand what globalisation does to a local beer scene. Beer is still so much more than what's in the bottle or can. Culture, the people behind it, the environmental footprint, localism, price. I still try stuff from abroad. After all, Belgium still usually late to new trends, but the spit's probably about 80-20 local versus non-local. James at Gammon Barron. Supporting the smaller local breweries is more important than ever during these lockdowns. I want to try and make sure that when we come out the other side, they are still here. Plus, I'm a proud tyke, so it always tastes better from Yorkshire. Fact. And lastly, 4P, Longhead 23. Yes and no. Provenance doesn't necessarily mean that the product is of any quality. And new brewers' breweries can also make excellent beer. However, I do like a good provenance story. And it does, can, will inspire me to buy their beers. So I didn't vote. 
Sorry. A range of views there coming down on, on, on both sides of the fence and some people echoing what I was saying about not necessarily um, that it's a, it's, it's a stamp of quality. Martin, where, where do you sit on this one? I think I'm sort of probably not that far off the last comment I just read out, to be honest. Um, I'd love to have as much, if we're talking purely about beer, I'd love to just do local, whether it be the shops that sell it or the breweries producing it. Um, and I am a bit luckier now than maybe I was uh, four or five years ago, as there are a couple of breweries not that far from me, but I do appreciate their their beers. Um, but the point that Ol made earlier, unfortunately, it doesn't always mean a stamp of quality. Um, and ultimately, if I'm going to part with my money, my th- desire might be local, but I do want the quality product at the end of the day once I've spent my hard-earned cash. So it's definitely in the middle. But I think uh, what James said about the supporting smaller local breweries, I mean, I've definitely been diving in a bit on Leon C recently, being only three miles away from me and being able to get the free local delivery, you know, and only having to spend a small amount is excellent. And I know that a a lot of places have been doing that for their local areas. Um, If you can get local and quality, it's almost like the best of both worlds for me. It just doesn't always land that way. What's your what's your what's your view, Steve? It's it's not dissimilar from from from, from you uh, at all, mate. Where, where wherever possible, I'd I'd like to be able to support local. I'm I'm not quite so blessed with with having uh, a number of quality breweries around me. I've got I've got Bishop Nick just down the road who do make some really really good traditional owls, um, and that's about it until we start going out a little bit further. Yeah, I think at, at the moment it's been about finding ways of um supporting local and and again i think somebody said it whether that be not necessarily just from the brewery but whether it's your supporting your local independent shop who are stocking beers from all over the country but you're choosing to spend your money in in that shop because you want to support them because essentially you want that shop to still be there in in in, in six months time so so yeah not not vastly dissimilar from what what you were saying I'll always try when it, when you go somewhere new, you try something local because you know that you're you're sort of putting into the economy and you're keeping people in jobs and things like that. Um, but occasionally, there's once bitten twice shy. But um, but certainly certainly recently, you know, I still buy from I still have online orders coming from um, um, my sort of favourite breweries um, that I'll get brought in. But 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 uh, well, you know, like I say, fruit, veg, and wine and things like that. I've really started to, to sort of focus on giving those guys uh, my money. Um, they, you know, they're not they're not necessarily so not necessarily selling local produce, but they are a local independent shop. And and I think I think provenance can mean so much. And, and I think just that snapshot of comments that we had there um, kind of shows the way that different people interpreted it. Now, obviously, as always, we couldn't feature all of the comments that were made, but we are very, very grateful to everyone that made a comment. There'll be a link in the show notes to the question. If you want to click through on that, you can read the question. You can have a look at all of the answers. If you want to continue to get involved, use the hashtag opinions, and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. First up from Johnny Beerboy at Johnny Beerboy. Absolutely buzzing to hear you're doing the summer sesh online. Obviously devastated we can't do it in person, but I was expecting that. And I might finally get to have a beer, albeit virtually, with you guys. 
that is indeed the plan, Johnny. Um, stay tuned for some more news soon about the summer sesh. From Hugh at H Yardley 33. Great show and helps get you through the morning while working. Hearing all the fantasy beer packs, though, left me thirsty. So maybe listening to the show in the morning isn't such a great idea. <laughs> From the Sausage Man UK Limited, uh, Sausage Man UK. Thank you, Beer O'Clock Show, for trying and featuring our Engel beer range. Glad you enjoyed them. For your information, the screw top is purely for convenience. I think I think that's what we was guessing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was because I was sort of talking about the old kiosks in Germany and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, David at D W Markham, particularly great show this one, and thanks for the mention. Really looking forward to hearing from Roosters. Babyface Assassin is a stone cold classic and massively underrated. And from Mark Johnson. Having never been to America, I didn't expect to make Martin jealous. But Port Brewing Hot 15 was in Beer Moth Shop in Manchester in 2014. Imported in a 660 milliliter bottle. It wasn't cheap, but I treat myself. I was going through a breakup and needed some pain healing. It was phenomenal, worthy of any fantasy six pack. In fact, I'm glad to have had the memory of the beer. Thank you. Hope you get to try it one day. From Richard Taylor at Rich Taylor 1608 really enjoyed the fantasy six pack and hearing people's memories and choices. Screw tops are a no. Anchor's new branding is a no. Summer sesh is a yes. Banana flavours in Dunkles is a yes. And finally, multiple tweets from Miles is a definite yes. Looking forward to the next show. And then finally from Wayne at Irish Beer Snob. How could I forget about that bottle of punk in Ellen? Holy shit, what a day that was. 30-second old bottle of punk. As you said, we met and became fast friends ever since. That's, uh, that's lovely that uh, Wayne has referenced that that little story you shared with us from the Fantasy Six Pack, Steve. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it was. It's you, you, you know, sometimes you, you you meet people on on this beery journey, don't you? And they, they kind of they, they kind of stay forever. My baby-faced assassin just about hung on and, until the end of that. Um, I mean, it is a beer that I do absolutely love. It's uh, it's a proper straight-up in-your-face IPA. It doesn't take any prisoners. Um, I looked at my first check-in for, well, going to untap the first time I had it. All I wrote down in the comment was, now that's an IPA, exclamation mark. That was it. That's all I wrote down. So it definitely got me on the first time, and my view hasn't changed ever since. No, mine mine hasn't. It's, it's it's a beer that I love, and 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 I'm really grateful that you you sent us some of that to to include on tonight's show. I'll oh, re- really appreciative for that. Thank you. Oh, very my much. pleasure. With that being said, we're going to move on to our final beer of the evening now. Now we're all on slightly different beers for for, for the last beer. So, Martin, what are you on to finish off with tonight? Well, you know, I had a six point one percent. So where'd you go? So I decided to go to seven percent. Obviously, on a Monday night recording. Uh, Strength in numbers, West Coast IPA, 440 milliliter can. I don't know much else about this one because I think it's a fairly recent brew. So I'm looking forward to tucking into that. What have you decided to crack open, Steve? I have gone for the Better Late Than Never. This is a New England IPA coming at 5.9%. It's got uh, Mosaic and Simcoe hops in it. So nice combination there. Uh, Looking forward to trying this one. Oh, you're on something different as well, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I've opened up um, a relatively new beer for us. We launched uh, in the new year called Thousand Yard Stare. Oh, cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers. cheers. That is um, my sort 
of New England IPA. Uh, it is, it's not got that sugary, sweet cloyingness that I don't like about the style. It's uh, a very clean, um, it's, it's very juicy, tropical fruits coming through on that. Uh, and it does give way to a little bit of bitterness on the finish. Um, not overpowering, but it is a soft finish. Um, but it does it does go down very, very easily. Um, it's a it's a very tasty little beer, that one. Oh, can you tell us much about what's what, what what's gone into that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so so we as the name suggests, Bet Late Never, we um you know, as as I alluded to earlier, you know, we kind of um um a little bit late to the party in, in, in some certain respects in, in some beers, beer styles, you know, in which we're brewing. Um, partly because of the the, the, the the massive undertaking of the move. So, yeah, we've done a little... Um, we, we, we tried to do a little um, series of, of New England IPAs that the, the name alludes to the fact that, look, yeah, all right, we're not going to move in stones or anything like that. Look, you know, we, 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 we're late to the party, but um, it doesn't mean that we're not going to approach it the names are a bit silly but we're not going to approach this style with any sort of silliness we, we're just keen to every every single beer we brew every single new beer every single um core range beer that we brew we're very serious about um and so this one after also bolted was the second of the three new england ipas that we've done um and we're so keen with it that we, it's kind of found its way onto our core range although that's not to say that there won't be others coming along um, but yeah, we used we used a, a New England strain. Um, the focus was very much on fermentation dry hop compared to you know Lake Kettle um, um, hot side. It was it was very much what happens on the cold side. Um, but yeah, again, just just not you know not necessarily um, creating something that was too heavy on the eye and on the palate and on your stomach, you know, it, um, it's, I, I, I've, I've tried quite a few sort of New England IPAs and, and been disappointed. Um, you know, you could line up seven different beers from seven different breweries and, and do a blind tasting. And, and, and personally, I couldn't tell you where one started and one ended, you know, from one to the other. It's not to say they're not good, but there was just very little between them. Um, so we just thought, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather, I just wanted to have it a little lighter on the, on the, on the eye, on the palate, and on the gut. Yeah, and it, and it, and it certainly works. It, it uh, you, you know, it's, it, it's, it's well documented that this, this isn't my preferred style of, of, of beer, and, and I think that's some of the things you've said there are, are potentially some of the reasons why I'm not a massive fan of the style. I, did, I do think they can be a little bit cloying sometimes, a little bit too sweet, a little bit too heavy, too juicy, almost not beery enough. Um, but I think I think this this walks the the, the, the tightrope perfectly between it. It's got all those characteristics, but it's it's still got a nice beery characteristic about it as as, as well. And it is it is very very easy to to, to drink. Now well, that's very kind of you to say, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, the flip side of that, obviously, is that Martin is on the other side of the <laughs> the, 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 the country. He's on the other coast. Um, you are tucking into a west coast there, aren't you, mate? Yes, um, and it is rather nice. It's, it's got a nice uh, bit of finish to it. Not quite as hard-hitting, perhaps, as Baby-Faced Assassin. It doesn't sort of creep up in the same way. It's there 
pretty much that there all the way through. It's piney, resinous. Maybe getting a bit of hint of, I don't know, orange marmalade is probably the best descriptor I can come up with. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything, so this is definitely one of your new brews as well. Is there anything you can tell us about this one? Yeah, so this one, uh, it's at 7% and it's a West Coast IPA. Um, both my brother Tom and I have travelled to the West Coast separately um, a few times over the last few years. I, I go over on business. Uh, I go over for hop harvest um, and um, taste these incredible West Coast IPAs, but they're, they're, they're clean. Um, uh, you know, they, they are... Um, transparent in the glass um but they are so dank and resinous and punchy um and you know seven percent is kind of for the americans it's a lower of that style um but we are tom and i separately you know tom, tom goes over um um goes over to the state quite often on holiday and when he's on the west coast but it's just a style that the two of us absolutely love um and so we wanted to um we wanted to sort of brew, brew, brew a, 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 a version, or, or you know, a, you know, um, try and best replicate um, what we love about that style. Um, so it's it's brewed of, um, of with an American West West Coast strain of yeast, and it is um, the hops we're using in there. Um, they range from sort of Columbus, which on the rub when you rub Columbus. Um, it's such an amazing hop, but it smells of onion and garlic, um, which thankfully are, are volatile flavours that go uh, that are driven off during the boil. And underneath that, there is that orange coming thing that comes through. Um, plus, there's a, a shed load of Chinook, which is grapefruit, Simcoe, which everybody knows and loves. From Simcoe, I get quite a sort of... Uh, I often get a sort of candy sweetness and a strawberry mm. kind of thing from, from Simcoe. Uh, so I think that's probably... That and the uh, Columbus are maybe, you know, bringing that sort of orange marmalade thing. Um, but yeah, I get uh, on the aroma, I get quite a jammy thing as well, which I think comes from Simcoe. Um, but it's yeah, it's just a style that we we both absolutely adore, and so we thought, well, why not have a go at brewing our own? And that this is the result. And the two beers that me and Steve are sharing are they seasonals or caught now part of the core range? Um, so they're both part of the core range now, actually. Yeah, as from uh, the Better Late Than Never became part of the core range back end of autumn, I believe, and then strength in numbers from the beginning of this year. It's uh, I am I am really enjoying it, and Steve, I don't know whether you've had this one yet or not, but um, you'll, you'll enjoy it. I've, I've not had a chance to have it, but I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm enjoying the Better Late Than Ever. And it's, it's again, it's great to hear that you've got such a a varied range as, as, as part of the core range. So it's, it really does sound like there's something for everyone in there, um, you know, dependent on what style you, you prefer. Yeah, well, that's what we're, you know, we're trying to do. We've, we've added a, a, a totally caramel stout to the range as well recently. Um, we do a, a rose lemonade sour. Um, as part of the range, you know, a lot of pale ales from, from you know, as we discussed, Yankee, up through Session IPA 24-7, up to Baby Face Assassin, you know, uh, India Pale Ale. Um, but we've started to play around with different yeasts as well because we've, we've obviously got our own wet strain, which is important to carry on, um, to brew with, to carry on um, uh, um, harvesting from so we can brew uh, week to week. 
Um, but we have um, we have started to sort of look further afield to geese straight um, and, and, and sort of try and replicate styles that we are just so much in favour of and, you know, we think that people might enjoy. But I suppose that's also um, been in the marketplace as well. So many breweries are bringing out different beers all the time. And obviously you've referenced that with your better late, better late than never title for the beer. Um, but I guess that's part of, you know, staying relevant in the modern day market that you do need to have different styles and you do need to bring out to the market a new beer pretty much every so often so that it, it reminds people you're still here. Yeah, it's, um, it's a challenge. I'll be honest. Um, it's certainly a challenge. We, we, we tend to, we, we kind of find ourselves sort of juxtaposed between um, the size we're at in between the, the sort of smaller, um, much more um, younger sort of breweries who are, who are able to, to create these weird and wonderful sort of um, sensations and, and, and flavours and aromas and everything. And then between the sort of slightly bigger brewers who are, are able to... Um, lock down huge contracts and, and knock out their sort of core range beers. We're sort of sandwiched between the two at the moment. Um, but yeah, we've, 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 we, in the last 12 months, we've sort of tasked, tasked ourselves with trying to, it, it, part of it's keeping up with the Joneses and part of it's actually to, to refocus ourselves and, 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 and just have a little look at what, um, whether it's, it, you know, something new that we can do and bring to the table or whether it's something that we feel that, you know, we, we, without disrespecting anybody else, but something that a style that's already out there that, that that's favourable that we we maybe think that we can improve, or or, or, or certainly put out a, a decent representation of, you know. And and obviously, you know, we can't really uh, go too far without mentioning that over the last twelve months, while you've been challenging yourself. You know, the word challenge would spring to mind. Uh, running the brewery during a, a global pandemic and through what is now our our third lockdown, um, how has that been for you, both as a as a as a someone involved on the brewing and production still, but also, um, you know, uh, with all the people involved in the process at the brewery? Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So. In the in the beginning, that you know, we rewind ten months ago or something. Um, yeah, it was it was a you know like everybody in the in the world, regardless of what industry you're in, you're absolutely blindsided by 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 what came. Um, I remember having a a board meeting with with with, with my brother and, and my dad, and you know, dad's been in business for forty odd years. And Tom and I both kind of looked at him for, you know, he, you know, he lived through the three day week and all that, which is just, you know, I'm guessing you guys did as well. Don't, you know, don't shoot me down, but you know, um, but yeah. Um, but, you know, we kind of looked at our dad and was like, you know, what fuck's going on? And he said, well, the three day week, the one thing with the three day week is that the whole country were affected by it. Every, every industry up and down the country was affected by it. This one's slightly different because there were going to be winners and losers. Um, and after 48 hours, we, we sort of reconvened and went another meeting. And I do remember my dad actually saying, do you know what? 
we sat there and he went, I've been in business for 44 years, 46 years. And he just said, I've snookered. I do not know. I haven't got a clue. And, you know, he's a very astute sort of businessman. So we had discussions and we were like, shit. You know, it got to the point where Tom and I were just adamant, you know, the furlough scheme is great. And we were like, if we have to furlough everybody and Tom and I have to do the brewing and the canning and all this kind of thing, then we do it to make sure that we come out on the other side. Well, thankfully, you know, things were rosier than that. Um, but yeah, it was tough. It was absolutely tough. Um, I mean, the first lockdown, um, it wasn't too long before there was sort of pressure on us um, to restock for free. Um, 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 pubs. You know, we, 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 had, we had a few days the, the, that first week when um, the Prime Minister advised everybody not to go to the pub but didn't offer any, you know, there was like five days, wasn't there? Well, that first week, we had two days that week, we were sending vans out to go and collect stock that people hadn't paid for and said they wouldn't pay for. So, you know, that was money, money spent delivering and then collecting. Um, but after once we went into lockdown, there was pressure on us to to restock um, certain companies for free. You know, a lot of the large multinationals had offered pubcos um, to restock for free. So that, you know, they they take the beer, you know, take the any beer out and and and, and get rid of it, and then restock it for free. And then what happened was the the pubcos. And wholesalers then asked the smaller breweries like ourselves to do the same thing. Um, you know, how do you say no to that in an increasingly sort of small and, and tight market? How, how as, a, as a producer, do you say no to that when you know that you could be, um, you know, knowing that one eye on the future, that when, when, when trade opens up again, that you could be shooting yourself in the foot? So the first lockdown, we um, our accounts have shown that we we actually threw. Um, I mean, forgetting you know the, the labour cost involved and the fuel and all that kind of thing of, of going picking beer up from wholesalers and pubs and everything, um, we put about twenty grams worth of beer down the drain. Just as, as a, a you know, and, and, and forgetting that the, the labour costs of, of employing people to do that. And we have to neutralise, we have to balance the pH out and neutralise the pH before it went down the drain so that we weren't um, affecting our trade effluent content. Um, half of half of that 20 grand um, was beer that we destroyed and half of that money was um, replacing that beer for free to... Customers to wholesalers to big pub goes and all of that. Um, so that was, and that was just summer. That was just lockdown one. Um, lockdown two, or the, you know, as I refer to it, the pretend lockdown because it, was, it wasn't, <laughs> it was neither here nor there as far as I'm concerned. Um, and this current one, um, when we come out of it, it's looking like it's going to be the same again. There, there is, you know, this time around, I don't. There's, there's very little, um, you know, replacing stock for free, but there's a hell of a lot of stock going down the drain. And it's cask. It's cask beer. Because, you know, um, 
eat out to help out, pubs are open, do all this, you know, every, every you know, and it's not just us, it's, it's a small independent, you know, it's everybody across the board, but, but we produce a lot of cast beer because a lot of our customers are cast beer. Um, and all of a sudden the door slams shut again and it's like, bang, right, off you go. So yeah, we, we've been destroying beer again. Um, recently we've been putting quite a lot into um, bagging box and, and mini cask and everything um, beer that we deem suitable you know um, sellable again it's all our focus is always on the customer we ain't going to put stuff in bagging box or mini cask or whatever you know just to bloody make a quick book or anything like that we're only going to sell what we deem of quality so unfortunately with that in mind yeah this this time around we've i think so far we've we've destroyed so far this this time around we've destroyed about six thousand liters um which we're not alone hell we're not alone i I, i'm in a whatsapp group with 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 some brewers of bigger and smaller uh, size than than ourselves and and they're going through the same thing they're having to tank the beer off site to have it destroyed you know, tanker it. You know, tanker. The the, the minimum run for a tanker is fifty thousand liters. Uh, sorry, five thousand liters. I beg your pardon. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been tough. It's been tough. But the positive is the positive we've um, we've managed to keep um, as many staff employed as possible. Well, we, we haven't let anybody go. Um, but manage. When I say keep them employed, I mean keep them active, keep them in the building, keep them in work. Um, because I don't know where I'd be if, if I wasn't able to go to work every day. Um, so that's a positive. We've not, you know, we've we've made sure that we've secured jobs. Um, we haven't let anybody go, and we don't in, intend on doing that either. Um, and we've we've used the time to sort of have a little one eighty look, which I'm sure a lot of breweries and, and businesses have anyway. Have a little one eighty look at ourselves and 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 what was, you know. Um, what's been good and what's been bad, and, and 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 try not to when lockdown eventually eases again, and 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 there's some sort of normality returns that we don't sleepwalk back into areas of the business that we now recognise weren't very fruitful, you know. So they're the positives, but the, the negatives are outweigh them. <laughs> I mean, it does make sense to take this time to have a, a step back and a look at the business and obviously you know you've already said about challenging yourself to make new beers and, and stuff like that is you know this you know at some point fingers crossed there is an easing coming up have you got any major plans uh, is there any other beers that you really want to do any styles you really want to do is what's on the horizon okay yeah we um so the beer i'm drinking is a it's called thousand yards uh um, and it's one of Stu's recipes, um, and it's a hazy 5.4% um, uh, pale ale that we've, we've. This has been fermented with a, an American strain, a West Coast American strain yeast. Um, we've we've used a hop that we've not used before called Equinox, um, and again we had a little look at the um, uh, hot side and cold side um, hopping um, routine. Uh, and tweak things around a little bit, so that's good. That that's that and strength in numbers are the two beers that we sort of launched this year that are, are going to form part of the core range. Away from that, um, 
one thing we did, or well, a few things we did but at the beginning of lockdown. So in May, we had committed to and we took delivery to uh, delivery of um, some bourbon barrels. Um, we already had some uh, Pinot Noir barrels on site and we took a, a Chardonnay barrel in as well. So at the beginning of May, um, we brewed a, an, an Imperial Stout that went into the bourbon barrels, um, which is still sat there. And that shouldn't be sat there for too much longer. Three different bourbons. Um, so we're going to go into um, uh, the market. We're, we're going to um, bottle condition those beers. Um, and then we, I brewed a salad saison that went into Pinot Noir and Chardonnay casks. Um, once that beer, once we're happy with that beer, it's tasting amazing at the minute. Once we're absolutely happy with it, we, you know, with that beer, that'll go into bottles as well. So we're, we're sort of, um, again, following suit um, uh, from some other breweries. Um, one springs to mind that we've got so much respect for is Thornbridge. Um, but we're, we're sort of following suit in, in, in doing that kind of thing. Um, so we've got this barrel aging project that we 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 started uh, in May last year that is something that we will continue to do. And we'll invest in more barrels and, you know, put out some, some more um, varying styles. And, and so that's something to look forward to this year. It, it does sound like you've got some really exciting stuff coming up. And I've no doubt that, whatever you put out is just going to be as tasty as the beers that we've sampled this evening with you. Um, because these have gone down re really well. I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying the, the, the better late than, than never. I'm thoroughly looking forward to trying the West coast beer that, 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 that Martin's got as, as, as well. Um, and, and oh, it's been a real pleasure to, to have you on with us to, tonight talking about everything roosters, uh, that the history there and also your, your journey as, as well. So, so thank you so much for coming on with us. And, and, and thank you for sharing the beers with us as well. We are very, very appreciative of that and all the best for the future. Yeah, not at all. Um, my, my pleasure. Um, and I very much appreciate being asked to come on. Martin, what's coming up, uh, next time. I well, didn't take a little bit different, Steve, and I'm really not sure how this is going to go. Um, but we're doing a bit of a question show. So if you've got any questions you'd like to jointly ask us, use the hashtag opinions as normal. If, however, there's something you'd like to ask uh, ask me, then send a DM to Steve at Beer O'Clock Show. If there's something you'd like to ask about to Steve, send the DM to me at MJPO007 and see what sort of questions we get. Obviously, within reason, if you ask the most ridiculous question ever and it's completely outside of our realm of experience or knowledge, or you just want us to pronounce something which we, you know, we won't be able to forget it. Um, but ultimately, the length of the show will depend on how many questions and how many good questions you send us. So you've got a few weeks to think about it, and uh, we look forward to hearing what you've got to say. Yeah, it's something a little bit different for for us, but it is it is very much reliant on listener engagement. So uh, if you do have questions, make sure you submit them to Martin or to me or to us, and and we'll we'll choose a few of them, and and we'll we'll ask those why drinking some tasty beers on the next show. 
also in the next show we will be providing you all with a bit of an update on the summer sesh weekender which will be running from the 7th to the 9th of may most of the plans have had the i's dotted and the t's crossed so we're in a position where we can share some of our plans for that weekend so, so we look forward to that all that's left to be said, really, is once again, oh, thank you for joining us. Keep in touch, use the hashtag opinions, and we will be chatting to you again in a fortnight. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers.